what their decisions that caused it or our decisions that caused what good we have. Lord, I pray that in this place we'll have grace. In this place we'll have no judgment. In this place we'll have care for each other. In this place you'll renew our hearts and soften us towards you and each other. So speak to us in this time, Lord God. May we be made brand new again through the things we hear. And as we walk away from this place, may we never be, be the same because we've been with you, we've been with each other, and you've spoken. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, just as a preface, and I'm going to move very quickly through the word since we spent more time in our prayer time and announcements, but just as a preface, <clears throat> it's hard to make the voices stop, isn't it? when you're going through the crazy world you're going through and the crazy life that you're living, especially when there's a million things going on around you that just, they just pour in, don't they? And, and some of them are tape recordings in our minds of our history. It might be a teacher or a parent or a guardian or someone else who's spoken something over us and it's not been so healthy, but we play it back to ourselves in just the right time. You know what I'm talking about? We always get ourselves at just the right time. We're our own worst enemies, right, in those moments. And so we get in those down moments, and we play those tape recorders over and over. You're stupid. You're stupid. You're stupid. You know, and then we begin to think we're stupid. And then we play those tape recorders um, more when we're down than when we're up, and we're even saying things to ourselves, I am stupid. And then we have the negative self-talk. We get a negative image of ourselves. And then what else happens after that? We start hearing what people say. And isn't it funny how all your friends and neighbors and enemies and everyone can get on a bandwagon all at the same time independently of each other? And they have the, the special skill of attacking you at just exactly the same time. Everything starts falling apart around us. And the voices just get louder until we become really our own worst enemies. I want to encourage you this morning. Turn the tape recorders off. Tell the voices to shut up. In Jesus' name, no more. And listen to me, church, before we even go any further. You have no right to talk to God's child that way any longer. That's the word of the Lord. I don't usually say it's the word of the Lord, but this is the word of the Lord today. When I feel something this strong... I'm going to say it. I think I maybe said this once in like 15 years. It's the word of the Lord. You have no right to talk to God's child that way any longer. Cut it out. Stop talking to yourself that way. No more. Turn the tape recorders off. No one else has the right either. Do you understand me? I don't care if you're failing at your work. I don't care if everyone says you can't do it. I don't care what your leaders, your elders, your... I don't care what I say. If it hurts and is putting you down in this moment, at your lowest point, cut it off. Make it silent. Because today God's grace wants to come through this house. You understand me? We're not talking about ushy-gushy, mushy love. I'm talking about <clears throat> a powerful Jesus who died on a cross and took everything past, present, and future and passed it on to the pit, and it's gone already who says redeemed when he looks at you and says precious when he looks at you and thinks more times than sand on a seashore about you in just one day 
And when he thinks about you, he gets so excited. Zephaniah 3.17 says he jumps up out of his chair and does a jig and twirls around wildly. You hear me? You have no right to treat God's child and God's creation and God's redeemed the way you do any longer. You be nice to yourself. Because <laughs> he loves you. And he thinks you're awesome. And he's proud of y'all. I'm proud of you too. I don't care what sin you're in. Oh, don't stone me. Keep your rocks in your pocket. I'm going to say something that could get me stoned or kicked out of somewhere or may get me in trouble just in general. And if this is being podcast, then, well, don't throw stones through the Internet and blogs. But here's the deal. I don't care what the sin is today. I don't care. Jesus just wants to get near you. And he just wants you to know that he loves you. Cool? You know what? He's big enough. He's so big that he can handle what egregious sin you're in. And you know what else? He doesn't say get better before you come to me. All he's saying today is come near me, let me hang out near you, and guess what happens? When you're near him, you become like him. When you hang out with the Rose of Sharon, you smell like the Rose of Sharon. So stop trying to fix your sins too. It's not your place. Cut it out. Stop being your worst enemy. Your worst enemy is yourself today. Is that good? And when Jesus says redeemed, and when Jesus says valuable, and when Jesus says precious, and when Jesus says awesome, who in the heck has the right to say anything different? Hello? Okay, someone tell me who has the right to say against Jesus anything. Does anybody have the right to say Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about? Okay, so tell him to shut up. Jesus says, shut up. There you go. All right. So that'll be my one word to the Lord for the next 15 years. I'm very careful saying, I hear God. <clears throat> because if you say you hear God <clears throat> and you don't, <laughs> the Bible says you're supposed to be stoned. <clears throat> so I don't like being stoned. Um, pain hurts, rocks hurt, and um, pain is, well, I'm, I just, I'm, I'm allergic to it, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm pain averse, <laughs> and so um, I'm just careful about saying things, especially whenever it can cause other people pain. So as we approach words from the Lord, I do generally try to just say, you know, I'm sensing this, or hey, what about this? And I try not to frame it with, with God said whatever. But listen to me, that one, that one, if I've ever said one, that one's one, right? Okay, so I paid my dues, I can say one. All right, Mark 2. Mark 2, something new. Mark 2, we've been talking about the kingdom of God, right? Today we're going to talk about all things new. If you've ever followed the tapestry on Twitter, our Twitter is actually the tapestry. I've been writing up a series of kingdom principles just through Twitter. Very short snippets of kingdom concepts. So if you want to keep on to some kingdom concepts I'm not even given in here, 
You can check those out through the tapestry. It's at Twitter. Mark 2 talks about wineskins. And um, it talks about, I'm not going to read the first part. I'll read the end where I want to be. The first part talks about Jesus healing a paralytic again. He's just done it before. He's doing it again. And so, well, actually, the one was leprosy before. So he's doing paralytic now. Again, he's healing. It talks about how he says that the person's sins are forgiven again, which is kind of iffy for people. But we know in the last passage they said that the people were blown away that he taught with authority and he ministered with authority. And now it goes on to say that, again, the teachers of the law, they're taking notes and seeing stuff going on. Now we're down at verse 8. And then it says, immediately Jesus knew in their hearts what they were thinking. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on the earth to forgive sins. He said, the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Boy, they have short, short memories. Because it was last week. They saw him, well, two weeks ago, they saw him. Maybe it wasn't on our time frame. But, you know, they saw him at the temple. Heal a leper. We haven't seen anything like this. I mean, this is getting to be the normal thing people say about Jesus. Maybe they should just stop and go, well, we're seeing more and more things like this <laughs> or something. We haven't seen anything like this. And then it goes on. This passage is broken up by chapters and verses, but honestly, ideas of these Bible scholars were not broken up in chapters and verses. It came later when we put it into a book form. So as you look at the chapters and verses, please understand that the, the, the thinking was fluid in Mark's mind. He was trying to get a point across. He was writing on a certain topic, and the topic in this part and passage is, seems to be, in my mind, authority and the kingdom. And when it goes further, it's even pointing out the fact that everyone else from the old thinking had no authority, and that Jesus was calling a bunch of new guys to new thinking. And it goes on, the calling of Lot. You see what's going on here? The kind of mindset. He's pointing out, these old guys didn't get it, so Jesus went and got new guys. He got new guys that hadn't even been really schooled in theology. They were just regular business guys. Fishermen, tax collectors, you know the types. Business guys. Which brings me to a current era we're in, and I'm thinking, maybe God's tired of biblical scholars. And he's just looking for a bunch of business guys. A couple teachers, leaders of schools, some dudes who can do finance, mortgage guys, guys who take contracts for the government. He's just looking for guys and gals who are just like us. What about that? You think maybe? I don't know. So it says he called Lot. Once again, Jesus went beside the lake. A large crowd came down. I mean, Lot, Levi. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. The rest of the disciples are going, what? The tax collector? That dude does his own people wrong. We don't do his type here. And since they were only into chapter 2 of Jesus' story, they didn't know that he did. Okay. I am picking around a little bit. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were sinners. I love how it puts it, the Bible puts it in quotes. Like the, the you know, I mean, I'm not sure that there are actual quotes in the Greek. 
But I'm thinking that maybe the NIV is making it clear that there should have been quotes or parentheses or italicized. I don't know if they actually italicized the Greek. I'm making jokes here. They didn't. It's okay. Breathe, relax, it's all right. <gasps> you know, I feel like I am going to get stoned here in a minute. I'm making a little space with the text, and people are like, <gasps> sinner. You know, just like here, sinners. Sinners. Us and them. Us, not sinners, and them, sinners. Why do we always do that? I mean, why is it, Christians, we have to always categorize? You know? Oh, there's the Pharisees. They're not sinners. And we're the disciples. We're not sinners. But those guys are sinners. It's not that the lines are getting blurred. I mean, we pretty much know who does good stuff and who doesn't. Some people are in the middle. But why do we need to make sure everyone knows? Why is it my responsibility to be the police officer of the church or the police officer of the world? Or the lawyer of the church in the world? Or the reporter? Or whatever job I, kinda, I try to give myself in the church. The judge, the jury, the doctor. You know, making fun here, but truthfully, we do this. We think we're the guy that's going to fix everything heal everybody. No, that's Jesus. You got the wrong job there. It's not your job description. We think we're the guy that's going to make sure that everyone lives by the rules. And so we have our badge ready and we're the police officer of the church. And it's not true. We're looking at everybody as us and them. And then we think that we're the jury or the judge and they have sinned. They are, quotes, sinners. Right? And yet, I never saw that any of you guys were given that job description from Jesus. Or me as well. Right? We're a lawyer where we need to make sure that everyone understands the right way of God. Bless our hearts. Really? Our, our God's so big that he can actually police his own world if he wants to. He could judge it. He could jure it. He can be a lawyer. He can report on it. He can burn it, rebuild it. He can do whatever the heck he wants. He's a big God, right? And when we separate ourselves and we get that us and them mentality, it's not biblical at all, in a sense. The Bible says that we are to separate ourselves from evil brothers. Who's a brother? Church member. When we look at the world and we separate them from us, and we live, and we live in a way that it literally repels them, that's not Christ-like at all. My heart is to be right in the center of the world, but not be overtaken by it. My heart is to be right in the center of sinners, and loving on them, and with them, and letting them know that Jesus is near, and Jesus is still sitting and eating with them, just like he did back here. Yet not being taken down by their standards, but bringing them towards Jesus and letting Jesus change standards and letting Jesus talk. And you know what? My Holy Spirit that I trust in, God's Holy Spirit, Jesus' Holy Spirit is so big in my life that I, I tend to believe that he has the ability to change anyone he wants to. I don't have to change people anymore. And that's what Jesus was doing, sitting with sinners. Sinners! And eating and hanging out and loving on them. And he was with them. He was a friend of sinners. I'm a friend of sinners. 
Hear me. I am a friend of sinners. I am friends with sinners. Be careful who your friends are. Have you ever heard? That's one of my tape recorders. I'm a friend of sinners. I love them. I love them. You know who ticks me off, though? Well, let's keep reading. I'll show you. Those are some people that tick me off. <laughs> Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? 17. On hearing this, Jesus said to him, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And he is the doctor, believe me, not me. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. And who would know the righteous better than him? If you're in here today and you find that you're more righteous than anyone you know, oh my, Jesus didn't come to work with you. Did you hear me? I'm going to try to be the kind of person Jesus wants to work with. He came for sinners. I'm very in tune with the fact that I've received grace. And I know where I've come from. Something else is a tape recorder I will keep and let play over and over is my mom saying, son, don't, don't forget where you've come from. Don't forget you grew up on a farm. Don't forget where you came from. You guys, in the faith... I'm always aware of where I came from. And so when I, when I deal with the broken, I deal as a broken man with broken people. One who's been healed by the grace of Jesus. One that knows brokenness firsthand. As I watched him take the pieces of my life and glue them back together by the Spirit of God. Wow. Fantastic. So it goes on. And again, passage moves on. The thought's not over. Now, John's disciples and Pharisees were fasting. Really righteous people, religious as well. And it says, they were good at what they did. It says, <clears throat> how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? They said, I love those kinds of folks. You know, you can be doing as much good stuff as you want to. You can heal paralytics. You can cleanse lepers. You could change whatever community or social, whatever. You could do whatever, and they're going to find something. Oh, it's not as good as this. You know, okay, you're right. You know what I'm saying? God bless us for doing that to each other. You know what's funny? I want to extend grace to those of us who do that to each other and just say, <laughs> you know, you're right. That's not as good as I hoped it would be. But I'm sinner, saved by grace. I've been broken, and I'm helping the broken, and I eat with sinners, and I love this work. So there you go. I'm just doing what Jesus told me to do. And Jesus answered. <laughs> I love Jesus' answer. This is the kingdom heartbeat right here. You ready for this? Jesus answered them, and he did not answer them at all, did he? <laughs> He's, they said, oh, why is this? And he says, I'm going to give you an answer, but you're not even going to get it. Have you ever talked to people about the same thing that they've always talked about and them never understand what you're talking about? You know, you're talking the same words, same concept, different heartbeat totally. And you can't get through to them. You're like, I'm trying to help you understand. They're like, I get it. You're like, no, you don't. When you respond like that, you don't get it. Um, you know, relax, breathe. It allows blood to go through your brain. Oxygen gets through. And then you feel better about yourself and me. Turn off the tape recorders. And Jesus is talking one of those things with these Pharisees. He's saying something that they don't get at all. 
but he's answering the question in the kingdom way. He's not answering their question at all in the world's way. They're not going to get it. But he says this, how can the guests of a bridegroom fast while he's with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day, they'll fast. He's trying to get across something here about heartbeat. And I'll tell you about it in just a second. No one sews a patch on unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Everybody's going, yeah, it's dumb, you know. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. <clears throat> First thing I want to point out here is the bridegroom talk. I love this kind of talk. It's really scary for some of us because we've never gotten past the servant talk. We like being servants of God, and we like when Jesus talks to us as a servant of God. We're servants of Christ. And, you know, be careful, be careful when your words ring hollow and you, you say Christ and there's nothing behind it. Those of us who know him, we know that you don't. We're not judging. We just sense it. I am close to Christ, my Savior. And I'm thinking, yes, you've been saved, but you've not moved past that point. You're still at the save point. And guess what? Salvation is not just a point. It's a line. It's a journey. It's a walk. Won't you stop, start, stop crawling and start walking, brother? You know? I feast on the meat of the heart of God. And I'm like, brother, if you'll pull out that bottle out of your mouth, I'll hear you better. That sounds like milk talk to me, brother. I feast on things that God speaks to my heart that hurt me oftentimes. The best things God ever tells me are things that actually correct me. And when I feel broken from his words, I just, I go, wow, you're not giving me a bottle now, are you? You're saying, hey, have a steak. Jesus, I'm not sure I want this ribeye right now. Oh, that last New York strip was a doozy. <laughs> I think I want my bottle back. Where's my bottle? You know, we gave Anna her first open cup. She dumped it in her plate yesterday. Lori says to her, I guess you're not over sippies yet. And sometimes in the faith, I don't think I'm past sippies. You know, I just, I'm good there. Isn't that funny? And so he's speaking not just to servants. We like to hear the son talk, sons and daughters of Christ. We can sit on his lap. We can be a little kid. He can take care of our problems. He can wrap his arms around us. We can be cute and cuddly. And our Jesus is often cute and cuddly. And that's fine. And that's fine. However, that is, that is also one part of our relationship. Servant, son or daughter. And then there's the one that's a little dangerous and scary to us, especially us guys. We don't get this at all because we're men. We're also the bride of Christ. We're all a bunch of girls. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but this girl's not wussy. And she's not weak. And she's not a wimp. And she can't be pushed around. And she's got values and standards and morals and character. And she's powerful. 
in her relationship. And she's passionate about her beloved. And she is <clears throat> enduring and covenanted. And she carries a sword and a shield and a buckler and boots and a helmet and a breastplate. And she has gifts that she wears for her wedding day. And she's waiting <clears throat> for her bridegroom. And so when we hear bridegroom talk and bridal talk and we hear talk of friends of the bridegroom, it makes us a little nervous as we don't fully get it. We're going to get it someday. We're going to get it someday, and then he's going to get us. And that's how it's going to work. And, and, you know, I don't know how it'll end. I don't care. Actually, I really care. You know what I care about in theology before we finish this? You know what my, the crux of my theology is right now? I can give it to you in a real simple piece because people are trying to pigeonhole me like never before about what my theology is. They're saying you're liturgical, you're charismatic, you're uh, uh, Protestant, you're whatever, and they think they're evangelical. And they got terms that they can put with me. And I'm, you know what's funny? I'm not really any of those because each one of them is their own thing and it's just, ah. I'm just being honest. I mean, I love charismatics. I love Pentecostals. I love evangelicals. I love Catholics. I love Orthodox. I love liturgical. I love a lot of stuff in the kingdom. I love it all. And it's okay. But my, my theology is boiled down to one point. Loving Jesus with all my heart so much so it overflows into my love for others. Jesus alone. You get it? I'm so passionate about Jesus right now. And y'all, I'm sorry for yelling. I know I don't usually do this. But I'm really passionate about it. And it just it burns in my guts a little bit. It makes it uncomfortable to sit still. I want to walk around and throw things. <clears throat> just being honest. I want to, you know, if I had one of those big pulpits, those big podiums or wood, I'd just hit it. But if you hit this one, it'll go shoop. And sometimes it falls apart. So you can't hit things. But I'm passionate about this. You know, I want to, so anyway, be careful. I'm passionate about it. I ache inside. God wants us to be this way. He wants this in us. He longs for us to be this kind of people where we can get along with everybody. How will they know you're my followers? By your love for one another. Hello, followers! Do you want the job description of a disciple? Job description of disciple. Love one another. <laughs> it's pretty darn simple. Here you go. So let's finish this. we got to finish this. So bride and bridegroom talk just totally excites me. It just fascinates me. But that's what's going on here. And what he's trying to incite in us is the idea of passion. That there's a bridal thing going on. And as a bride is waiting for a bridegroom, and a bridegroom is waiting for his bride, <clears throat> there's excitement in the air. But when he's preparing and all the friends are there, the excitement's so much there that you're not all sad and mopey and fasting. If you are fasting, it's not intentional. It's because, you know, when you get really in love with somebody, you just hardly want to eat. I lost, like, so much weight whenever I met Lori, you know. I was already skinny, but I lost more weight. I just, you know, I, you know we go to eat, and I just want to look at her. And there's just, I mean, so maybe there is some fasting going on, but it's different fasting, right? It's not fasting like putting makeup around your eyeballs, looking pharisaic, and putting on your ripped-up garments and going, Oh, woe is me! Send your Messiah! And the Messiah is there. You know, it's like, bring it. 
You know, God in heaven is going, I did! I answered that one! Stop it! Thank God I'm not God, right? Because <laughs> he really doesn't do that. He just goes, are you kidding me? You know, bless your heart. God's probably Southerner. <laughs> He's not. He did have an accent, though, they said. He did. He had an accent. He's Nazarene. Check this out. All religious activity, fasting, or all the ancient paths are not our purpose. They're a result of our purpose. They're a result of what we feel towards our bridegroom. It's a means in itself, not the goal. It's not the end point. I am not religious, therefore I fast. It's not a rule nor a law. It's a conversation. When I find myself in a fasting place or a prayerful place in my practices of faith, what it is doing is saying to Jesus, Jesus, your child wants to talk and he loves you dearly and he aches for your presence and wants you near. It's a conversation. My fasting is not a conversation with you, nor is it a demonstration. It is not a demonstration. It's a conversation with him. It's a means not the end. It's not proof of my holiness. It's not in my job description. It is not a part of being a disciple. It's not a list. It's a love. Are you getting me? When I get my kicks out of the practice, whatever it is, the spiritual practice, I have just missed the point. When we do spiritual practices for any other reason than our conversation with him and how much we love him and to draw his presence near us and just because we miss being near him, when we do it for any other reason, it's a waste. And it's already missed the value. Are you getting that? We've got to be truthful and honest and real. Oftentimes we like to do them because they make us feel better about ourselves. You're more righteous, more holy, more perfect. You kept up with the list. You feel like you get awards. There are men around me who think that they're awesome because they fasted for long periods of time or a lot of time. I don't, I'm going to say this. I've said it maybe once before and I've said it in smaller circles, but let's just disarm it. And I won't get credit for it in heaven. But me and some other guys in this church, we fasted for 40 days before. I've done it twice. In 30 days as well. That does not make me holy. It is not on the list of things to do. It is a function of passion. And if you're just doing it because it's on the list and because it makes you holy and because it's a good idea because somebody else did, you're weird because it's not fun. I was hungry <laughs> for a long time, you know? And it wasn't even cool. And you know what else? I didn't even hear him hardly. It was the worst thing I've ever done. I'm just being real. People talk to me about, how'd you do it? I'm not telling you I don't want you to do it. You don't want to do it. Nobody wants to do it. 
you can know it's probably time to do it when you don't want to do it so bad that you're going, oh, I'm going to have to do this, you know, because you just long for him. There was a time in my life where when I was finishing college, I just longed for him, and I wanted to know his will for my life, and then I realized it's not about what his will is for my life. It's about what is his will, and then I adapt my life to join his will. That's what happened in that. You know what happened in fasting? He killed Dustin. I died. Pretty, pretty real. I got emaciated. It was not cool. I did not look pretty, right? It was not pretty. I am not emaciated now, as you can well tell, but I was then. It was unhealthy, and it hurt, and I died, and then I came alive to Christ, and by the time I came out, I could hear, and I loved him. You get it? There you go. And you know what else? I just told you, so I don't get credit in heaven for it. I wasted it on y'all. <laughs> so keep it a secret. Last thing, we got to bring this home. So our flesh hates actual spiritual habits if they're done right. Our flesh hates them if they're done right. They don't get their jollies out of it. They don't get their kicks. They do, our flesh doesn't go, woo, I'm stronger for it. Or I'm a better person. The flesh goes, oh, are you kidding me? And the spirit goes, woohoo! Finally! I'm free! Freedom! You know, that kind of thing. So, and then we are always opposite to God. We are. I mean, just in nature, our nature is opposite to the supernature. These are truths. So when we go through these practices, we're dying to self. When he's saying that you're in an old wineskin, what he's saying is this. Your paradigm was, this is the list you have to do to be holy. Do you get that? They did it for the wrong reason. And Jesus was standing in front of him going, I am proof that you're doing it wrong. Because if you knew what the right reason was, you would realize, I'm already right here in front of you. You already have access. You don't need to do that to get to me. Talk to me. The conversation is right here. Get it? They didn't understand they were using them wrong. Old wineskin, new wineskin. Jesus came to fulfill those conversations and hold their hand in the middle of them. You get it? Jesus' functional point here about the kingdom is this. The kingdom is about relationship and that everything you do should be out of a passion for him. And there is a right way to communicate with him. You can communicate through these ways when he's away. When he's near, just talk to him. You get it? You ever felt like God's been away from you? You ever felt so hungry that you're not hungry anymore? That's a good time to fast. You ever felt like all you could do is pray because you're crushed? Great time to intercede and pray. You ever felt like, are you getting this? Take notes, this is good stuff, man. <laughs> I'm proud of myself, I'm just kidding. <laughs> God, I lost my point because I got tickled at myself. <laughs> you get it. The easiest way is almost always the wrong way because sacrifice does not feel good. The better the practice makes us feel in itself, the further we move from actual intimacy with Jesus. It's easy to replace Jesus' presence with practices. 
It's all moved out of love, not law. Oswald Chambers said this, and we'll bring, this is actually the last thing I want to say, so worship team, if you want to come, I just want to read this passage from Oswald Chambers. It's called, The Habit of Having No Habits. When we first begin to form a habit, we're fully aware of it. There are times when we are aware of becoming virtuous and godly, but this awareness should only be a stage which we quickly pass through as we grow spiritually. If we stop at this stage, we'll develop a sense of spiritual pride, recognizing that we have holy habits. The right thing to do with, it, with godly habits is to immerse them in the life of the Lord until they become such a spontaneous expression of our lives that we are no longer aware of them, being immersed in them even. You get it? I love that. Because that's what's going on when he brings us to immersion points. He's trying to change our character strengthen us inside of godly habits so much so that we're in the middle of them we don't even know they're going on it's a function of communication it's not a list of law our spiritual life continually causes us to focus our attention inwardly for the determined purpose of self-examination because each of us has some qualities we've not yet added to our lives your god may be your little christian habit the habit of prayer or bible reading at certain times of your day Watch how your father will upset your schedule if you begin to worship your habit instead of what the habit symbolizes. We say, I can't do that right now. This is my time alone with God. No, this is your time alone with your habit. There's actually quality that's still lacking in you. Identify your shortcoming and then look for opportunities to work into your life that missing quality. Love means that there are no visible habits. That your habits are so immersed in the Lord that you practice them without realizing it. If you're consciously aware of your own holiness, you place limitations on yourself from doing certain things, things that God is not restricting you from at all. This means there's a missing quality that needs to be added to your life. The only supernatural life is the life the Lord Jesus lived. And he was at home with God anywhere. Is there some place where you are not at home with God? then allow God to work through whatever that particular circumstance may be until you increase in Him, adding His qualities. Your life will then become the simple life of a child. So how do we put this in practice? Well, it's kind of hard because we don't. We turn off the scripts. We turn off the tape recorders. We stop being hard on ourselves. We open ourselves up to relationship. We relax, we breathe, we rest. We silence the voices that are yelling at us and listen to the one voice that we need to hear speak. And out of that love place, we move. Not from habit. Funny thing is, is totally from interaction and habit of his spirit. And from that place, in a place where we're not judging ourselves, nor are we judging others, we will find that we become disciples of Jesus Christ. We'll also find ourselves aligned with our purpose, our main theology. We love Jesus. We love God above all. And that we have love flowing from that to our brothers and sisters around us. And then you know what's going to happen? We're going to be able to get away, I mean get away with, we're going to be able to get along with 
charismatics, Pentecostals, liturgicals, Catholics, whatever. And we're going to be loving our brothers. And the world's going to be looking at us and going, wow, they're weird. That doesn't look like the church at all that I know. And then they're going to say to themselves, watch this. Hmm. I might give that kind of church a chance. Because they're not going to hurt me. Or judge me. Or hate me. They all look like a bunch of people that are just friends with sinners. Wow. And isn't that the heartbeat, y'all? How about them apples? Is that a good word for today? Let's stand. Lord Jesus, we pray that you'll deepen us in this stuff. This is the heartbeat. And Lord God, my prayer is, is that as we even close this service, that you'll do something special in our hearts. We'll become the kind of people that always want to believe the best about each other. The kind of people that don't assume the worst about each other ever. That we constantly open ourselves up to the pain of relationship, whether it's good or bad. And Lord God, when we find out that somebody's done us wrong or doing wrong around us or somebody we trusted is failing, we hurt from it and we don't close our hearts to it and we embrace and we continue on together. That's my heart, Jesus. I pray that you will help us to become bigger. That Lord God, we'll let you be bigger. That you'll be bigger around us and we'll trust that you'll protect us. That we don't have to protect ourselves anymore. That you're big enough, we don't have to protect your church because you can protect it. That we don't have to legally go through it because you can. And Lord God, we will lay down our rights to your rights, dying to ourself, longing and passion for you. So that every activity we do, everything we do, just is inundated and filled and immersed in your spirit and your holiness and your passion and your goodness so that when people even walk by us they're inspired and ignited and impassioned just because they've been around someone that smells like the rose of Sharon and then Lord God may we be the kind of people that you walk around in the middle of so that when two of us are gathered together we'll always be in your name and people will interact with us and they'll come into contact with you and let that be our new kind of evangelism. A loving of you, a loving of others, so much so that you're just always with us and people can't take it. They just want what we got. Let it happen, Jesus. Today, 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 let it happen. Lord God, I'm so thankful for every person that's in this place. And I'm so proud of them. Make them be kind to your creation themselves. Remind them to be gentle with themselves. Remind them to be soft and, and full of compassion towards themselves so that they can be people of compassion towards the world. So Lord, pray that you'll finish this in us and seal this in us and do this in us today. Fill us with this. Fill this room with this. As we go out, fill up our cars with it. Fill up our houses with it. Fill up our workplaces with it. Fill up our schools with it. Fill up the malls with it. Fill up all of uh, the, the areas and neighborhoods. <clears throat> fill up our city. Fill up our state with it. Fill up this nation with it. Fill up the world with it. Inundate us with your kindness and your passion and your compassion and your heart to love on your children and your people. You're a friend of sinners again. May we be the church that's a friend of sinners. In 
Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship Jesus.